The experience of the Holy Spirit is more than just a feeling. And when God speaks to us through his word, it's more than just opinions. And so Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, we're looking at the sixth message to the seven churches. We've got one more uh, after this week. And this morning we're looking at God's message uh, to us. Uh, as he's sending a message to the church at Philadelphia, uh, but it is a message to us. That's why it's recorded in Scripture. Uh, Philadelphia is one of uh, two of the seven churches where there are no uh, criticisms, no complaints, uh, nothing uh, to uh, correct. Uh, not that they were a perfect church, uh, but uh, uh, but they needed encouragement there. Uh, there was a lot of good things going on there. And you say, well, why, why do we even need to look at letters if, if there's nothing in there that he's correcting or anything like that? Well, we all need encouragement. And he's sending this letter, even though he's not sending it to correct them, he's sending them to encourage. And also realize this, uh, as uh, uh, great as our worship time is here today, and maybe you're ready to do whatever God calls you to do today, that doesn't mean that you'll do whatever God calls you to do tomorrow. Every day we need a fresh work of God in our lives. Every day we need a fresh word from God in our lives. And so here's a message, a fresh word uh, to the church at Philadelphia and to us today. And, uh, and as we look at this, let me just go ahead and, and mention the, uh, uh, the title or the, the probing question that we need to answer is this, does God really love us? Does God really love us? Are we sing the, the song, you know, there's a, uh, worship song that talks about hallelujah we're not alone uh, God really loves us and so we we know the words to that that song uh, but maybe I should put it this way you know if we of course our answer would be yes God really loves us but the second question there if God really loves us what else matters what else matters if we go through persecution what does it matter if God loves us we live in poverty. What does it matter if God loves us? We go through sickness and health challenges. What does it really matter if God really loves us? We have failures in our life. What does it really matter if God really does love us? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now, this is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, okay? Uh, this is Philadelphia, Asia Minor, all right? Uh, the Philadelphia, although the church of Philadelphia could use a letter. <laughs> These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an, an open door and no one can shut it for you have little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial or tribulation which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. 
He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Same Spirit we were just singing about. Okay? The Holy Spirit. When we look at this church at Philadelphia, the name Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. That's, that's what the word means. And that's the way it was, the church was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a, a, a church of love. And even today, that's the way the church is intended to be. I mean, when Jesus was asked, what are the great commands? He gave two commands. One is to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second was to love your neighbor as yourself. And then later on, he adds a new command, which is basically those same commands when he tells the church there that they are to love one another. And so that's the three basic commands the three primary commands that Jesus gave the church all involve loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving one another. That, that's what we're called to do. And I think the key in understanding the message to this church and what we need to hear today is found at the end of verse 9. And I emphasize that where he says that he talks about the, the synagogue of Satan that will come and worship. It says, and to know that I have loved you. Wow. Powerful words. You know, uh, last year, a, a year ago, matter of fact, a year ago from Thursday, February the 8th, 2023, God did a, a special work. There was a chapel service at Asbury University there. And um, an evangelist, I don't even remember his name. Most folks don't. That doesn't matter. Evangelist was sharing with students in chapel there and, and talking about some of the commands that were found in the, in the book of Romans, that telling them how they ought to live. He just, in the midst of his message, said, you know, it's impossible to obey these commands without a heart that is filled with love for God. And then he reminded the students what 1 John 4, 19 says. Now, the reason we love him is because he first loved us. And he challenged those students in that, that chapel service that they would get with God and pray and ask him to fill their hearts with his love. And then everything would begin to fall into place. Matter of fact, he told him, he said, I encourage some of you after this service closed just to stay and just pray that prayer and ask God to show you his love. And you know what? Some students did. And they prayed. And God began to move. And God began to answer their cry crying out to God, asking him to fill them with their love. And he would expose things in their lives that, that were hindering their experience, their understanding of his love. And, and they would confess those things to God and get right. And they prayed alone and they prayed in groups. And as God began working and cleansing and purifying, they began worshiping and they worshiped some and then they prayed some and then some would share some scripture and then they prayed some more. And 
one hour became two hours and two hours became three hours and one day became two days and two days became three days. And, and it all began with people crying out, asking God to show them his love, to show them his love. I got to get in on some of that and that's exactly what God did when, when I got there. Walked in and worship was going on and within a matter of minutes, God began pouring out his love on me. And that's been, in my life, that's, that's been an experience of God that has continued throughout my life. When I was saved, when I was a teenager, God put me around men and leaders and spiritual leaders that were madly in love with Jesus. And I saw that and longed for that and hungered and was thirsty for that type of relationship. And God began to, to do a work in my heart and my life. God called me into ministry and put me in peop around people in, in, in college and in seminary and that weren't just professors, that weren't just teachers. They were men that had been touched by the love of God and were madly in love with Jesus. The reason they did what they did was because they loved him. Because he loved them. And then getting into ministry and the trappings of ministry and wanting to do things to perform, God put me in situations and there were times when, when God came, moved in. I, I remember at a pastor's conference when I was pastoring in Mississippi that I, that I went to and how God began showing me some of the pride and the things in my life that had begun to, that, that had come into my life that were keeping me from experiencing love and, and were doing things out of duty and rather than out of love for him. And God began to, he changed my heart and corrected some things in my life. And then pastoring here in Alabama, I, I remember a, just a, a simple study that we were doing at our church and experiencing God. And by the way, Henry Blackaby that wrote Experiencing God has gone home to heaven, just went home to heaven just a few days ago to be with the Lord. But going through that and reading and those words that said that God pursues a love relationship with us that is real and personal and challenging myself and challenging God in that, saying, God, if this is real, show me your love. And God did. And out of that experience and, and growth in that, God put me in, around a group of men that would get together every week and we'd look at the Word of God and we'd work our way through some things. And, and what we came to understand is that all throughout the... You know what? God really does love us. He really does. And then God put me in Ukraine and saw God pour out his love upon people there and people seeing his love and falling in love with Jesus and being rescued and redeemed. And, and then God led me here to Underwood. And we've had those moments, we've had those experiences where God has just poured his love out on us. And we need more than just momentary experiences though. We need a daily reality of the love of God, walking in his love. That's what was going on in Philadelphia. That's what was going on here. Philadelphia was a church that was filled with the love of God. 
Over in Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 5, this is a verse that has gripped me where it talks about the, the tribulation and perseverance and the character and the hope that God produces. It says, now this hope does not disappoint. The hope that comes from, from tribulation and stuff, he says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's a reality I want to know. That's a reality our church needs to know because a church that is filled with the love of God will openly share that love with others and will do everything not to impress others, not to benefit ourselves, but just simply because we love Him. If God really loves us, what else matters? You know, in this passage here, this letter to this church, Jesus just reminds them. They, they know that he's the one that loves them, but he reminds them of the type of love that he has. We see, first of all, the Lord who loves us. 1 John 4.19 says that we love him because he first loved us. Look at this Lord that loves us. Look how he's described here. In verse 7, it says, uh, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, these things says he, that he is Jesus, he who is Holy, You see, his love, first of all, is a holy love. That word holy means totally separate. That means that his love is not like the love that we think we know. It is beyond that. It is, it is a perfect love. He, it's a holy love. It is, he loves us perfectly in every way. Everything he does for us is out of love. And that love is, is, is perfect. Not only that, but it's a different kind of love. It is a separate kind of love. It's not like the love that we have that is up and down. His love is consistent. His love is deep. His love never changes. His love never stops. It's a different kind of love, and it is a separating type of love. But I understand it's not separating us from God. It's separating us from our sin because when we understand the love of God, how much he loves us, sin loses its desire, its pull, its pleasure. It's a holy love. It's not only a holy love, it's a true love. Since these things says he who is holy and he who is true. His love is holy. His love is true. That means it's authentic. It is real. It is meant to be experienced and felt and go beyond that and change everything about it. His love is real. It is real. It is truly what our heart needs. It is a true love and it is also a sacrificial love. Now he says there, he says, this, he, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, and he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. What is this key of David? That's the, the question. What is this key of David that, that he is, is, is talking about here? Well, the other place in Scripture where a key of David is mentioned is in Isaiah chapter 22. And you don't have to turn there, but, but just write this down if you want to. Isaiah 22, 2, where it says the key of the house of David. It's talking about this, this man, Eliakim, who's a, a picture of the coming leader. This is a messianic passage. It's talking about the coming leader who will come. And he says on him, the key of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open. 
open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. Obviously, Jesus is talking about that passage in Isaiah is exactly what he's referring to. He's referring to the fact that not only he is the Messiah, but the Messiah there, Eliakim, is pictured as, as my servant. He's pictured as the one with authority, and he's pictured as the one that opens what no man opens and shuts. That When he shuts, no one can open, and when he opens, no one can shut. That is him. That's the power that he has. But he has this key of David, and he says, I'll place the key of David upon his shoulder. The proof that he is the Messiah, the proof that it's not the miracles that he will perform. It's what he will carry on his shoulder. And you know what Jesus carried on his shoulder? He carried the cross. And so if you ever doubt that Jesus loves you, take a good long look at the cross. His love is holy, perfect. His love is true. It is real. And what he did on the cross proves his love for you. He gave himself on Calvary's cross for you. And it is the cross that opens the door that no one can shut to salvation, to life, to a love relationship with God. You have a Lord who loves you. He loves this church and he loves everyone that is here today. And let me tell you, when you begin to understand how much he loves you and you begin to be filled with his love, you begin to walk into an experience of his love. There is an experience. It's a, it is beyond the verses that are here, but he just mentions some of this church's experience in his love as he describes a, a, a few things here. This is a description of a church, a person who is filled with the love of God. First of all, he talks about an open door. He says in verse 8, I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door. This open door is a, an experience of, of the love. as His love is flowing through them in this relationship that he has. That they have. He leads them to open doors. He walks with them and opens those doors. He gives open doors of ministry. He gives open doors for the future. He gives open doors of blessing. He gives open doors of impact. That's part of his love. When we're walking in his love, we see doors that no man can open. We see God open them up. Not only an open door, but sufficient strength. He says, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have little strength. Now, it seems like he's condemning them for their little strength, but he's not. This is a positive thing because the little strength that they had was sufficient strength. Because you see, when we have little strength, we get to depend on his great strength. Anna was talking about it earlier about weakness. I thought, yeah, he's preaching part of our servant. Because <laughs> when we are weak, he is strong. We experience his strength. See, we, we have it all messed up. See, when you, we think that we need God to make us strong. No, we need God to make us weak or really to expose our weakness so that he can become strong. And when you really know that God loves you, you can trust yourself to be weak. See, we need to realize we are insufficient. But he is sufficient. One touch from him is sufficient. One word from him is sufficient. 
Sufficient strength. Precious treasure. Notice he goes on in verse 8 and says, you have a little strength. And he says, and have kept my word. Now that doesn't say anything about a precious treasure or does it? Because the word keep there, it means to guard. It means to treasure. And what he's saying here, when he talks about the word, he's talking about more than just words printed on a page. He's talking about more than just an opinion. This is God speaking into our lives through his word and speaking through the Holy Spirit into our lives. And we value that. When you're, when you're filled with the love of God, you, you hear his, his voice, the word of God. You open up and it's all throughout that page. He's speaking to you. It becomes living. It becomes personal. And you treasure the word of God. You can't wait to get in the word of God and hear what he has to say to you next becomes a treasure a precious treasure when you're walking in his love you also find overcoming faith when you're walking in his love as he says and have not denied my name there in verse 8 they did not deny how did they overcome through his love they weren't going to deny the one that loved them they understood his sacrificial love. They understood his holy and true love. And they were not going to move away from that. They were, they were filled with his, his love. And so how, how could they deny the one who loved them, the one who, who gave his love, the one who died for them? How could they not stand up for him even in the face of death themselves? They were filled with his love. And it produced overcoming faith in their lives. And persevering obedience as well. Verse 10 says, because you have kept my command to persevere. Now that word persevere, literally the word that's translated here literally means to abide under. And so when he says the command to persevere, what's he talking about? I tell you what I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about the abiding life back in John 15 where he commanded us to abide in him. And not only to abide in him, he said, let me put it to you this way, abide in my love. Like the branches do the vine. The abiding life. And you see that abiding in his love is what keeps us under his authority, under his power, in his presence. And regardless of what comes into our life, tribulation, hard times, we can't get over what Jesus has done for us. And we cling to him. The experience of his love and then the blessings of his love. Three blessings I want to hit on right quick. One is a powerful witness. Verse nine is, seems somewhat strange. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. See, really what he's talking about, he's talking about a powerful witness. And what, what is he talking about here? That they will come before your feet. They will come and worship before your feet. It almost sounds like what they're saying is they're going to worship us. That they're going to come at our feet and worship us because we're such great and awesome people. And we're just so, so good. No, that's obviously not what he's saying. It's not that they will bow before us. They won't do that now and they won't do that one day either. Well, maybe what he's talking about is the fact that the day is coming. Scripture talks about it in the book of Philippians that 
when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's true. That will happen. But I think he's talking about something more here. I think when he's talking about bowing before us, that word before means simply in the presence of. They don't worship us. There's only one who's worthy of worship. You know what I think he's picturing here? Is that as we are bowed before the feet of Jesus, that because of our witness, because of our testimony of the love of God, the world, even our enemies, will come and bow before Jesus as well. That's a powerful witness. It's a powerful witness. It's the world needs to hear the good news that God loves them so much. He gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him can have eternal life. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. When they see that message of love, and hear that message from us, they'll know his love is real and they'll bow as well. That's what needs to happen in the church. That is a blessing of a church that is filled with his love. This is what God does. He gives us a powerful witness. He gives us supernatural deliverance. He says uh, uh, in verse 10, he says, I also will keep you from the hour of trial or tribulation which shall come upon the whole world world to test those who dwell on the earth. Here it is when he talks about keeping here, that word keep, it means we can, it either means two, one of two things. Either he can guard us from, keep us from that, or he can keep us through it. It can mean both of those things. And the good news is, is God does both. There is a time of tribulation. The Bible talks about that it's coming one day that the church will be kept from. There's a great tribulation that is coming that the scripture talks about that the church will be kept from. Because that's why the rapture is going to happen is to keep us from that, that tribulation. But that doesn't mean we don't, we don't have tribulation here on this earth. That doesn't mean that we don't have trials today and tomorrow. And the thing is, is that God's love will keep us from that one day, yes, but he can keep us through it now. He delivers us through the trials. He delivers us from the trials. Either way, it is God's love and grace that keeps us. And then there's the eternal blessings, the blessings of eternal relationship, an eternal relationship of love. Just look with me here in verse 11 where he talks about several things about this eternal relationship. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly, and he is. He's coming and the day is coming when we will see the one we love face to face. And then he says, hold fast what you have that no one may take your, your crown. He blesses us. He gives us things that even that we don't deserve. And one day we'll be able to demonstrate our love to him and worship and throwing those crowns at his feet. He says, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. He, he will not depart. He will not leave. He gives us that. We will be pillars in the temple. That doesn't mean that we're going to be uh, uh, mortar or, or uh, marble that is there in the temple. We're going to be there, but he means we will be established in his loving presence and we will never leave that loving presence again. And then he says there, and I will write on him the name of my God, the one who loves us. His name will be written uh, upon us. We will carry his name uh, upon us. And then he says, not only the 
the name of my God, but the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. We're not citizens here. We are eternal citizens in the city of love, the new Jerusalem. We will be with him forever. And then he says, and I will write on him my new name. You know what I think that new name is? I think that new name has three letters, H-I-S. It says his it doesn't say Doug. It doesn't say greatest preacher in the world. It doesn't say that uh, the one that won the, the leadership award when he was a senior uh, football player at Corinth High School, it won't say anything like that. It'll say his, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's all that it will say, and that's enough. All of that is made available to us. Why? Because we have a God who loves us. May he fill this church and each one of us with his love, with his love. May Underwood Baptist Church have a, another name as well. May we be Philadelphia Church, a church filled with his love that shares that love and shows that love everywhere we go. Now, let me tell you something, okay? If you're here today and you're lost, Jesus loves you. It's not just a song, it is a truth. And Jesus gave his life for you. And you will never truly experience the love of God until you come and bow the knee to Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you have a chance to do that today. Secondly, for those of us that have done that, what we need is a fresh dose of the love of God. And I encourage you to come and to ask God to fill your heart with his love. Pray this prayer and don't ever stop praying it. God, show me how much you love me.